couple of episodes back, we spoke with a number of farmers about the technology they've implemented on farm. It was a really popular episode, not surprisingly, given that farmers love hearing from other farmers. So in this episode, we catch up with a self-confessed sheep geek, Marino Breeder from Central New South Wales, Mark Mortimer. Hello and welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So Merino Link is a not-for-profit organisation that promotes the profitability of Merino sheep. And its conference was held very recently in Wagga. One of the key speakers was Mark Mortimer from Centre Plus Merinos. He's famous for his adoption and tinkering with technology. And he caught up with AWI's Emily King and explained exactly where he does farm. Uh, yeah, so I farm at Tullamore, which is central New South Wales. So if you just stick your finger right in the middle of the map, you'll find us. Um, and we're a sheep cropping enterprise, but they're specialised in the sheep. So we run the ram breeding nucleus for Centerplus Merinos. So, so I spend most of my time um, involved with genetics and breeding rams. Last night at the Merino Link intro dinner, uh, I was lucky enough to hear a presentation from you about how you found Twitter and using Twitter for your business and uh, in promoting what you're doing at home. Do you think you'll continue to use Twitter? Do you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, I do actually, um, which was quite surprising because um, I got dragged kicking and screaming into social media. Um, so it was a, a situation where we're updating our website for our business and the company doing that said, we'll link in all your social media pages to the website and it'll all be automatically posted. And I just looked at them, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, this will save us money because we don't have any social media. And they looked at me a bit funny and they go, oh, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll link in all your personal social media. I no, still shaking my head. I don't have any social media. And these young people in Sydney looking at me like I had two heads. Um, hadn't seen <laughs> two, anyone. Two heads and not enough social media, yeah, Mark. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, you know, we came home and we discussed this within the family and my wife and my sister-in-law said, you know, we could probably do this. We could do Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and I started to get very nervous that I'd be left with the platform that nobody else wanted. I vaguely knew that Twitter was, at the time, 140 characters, and I said, I'll do Twitter. Um, and that's that's how I ended up here. And the rest is history. So, yes. <laughs> um, but it turns out um, there's a lot of farmers on Twitter. Um, I've never had a bad experience on social media. I've, um, I see it um, on there, but it's you know, a bit like weeds in the paddock for me. I can, I can walk past a weed in the paddock without getting stressed. Some people can't. So I, I think it's a little bit like that. So I just interact with all the good stuff. And, you know, your average farmer likes to share the good things they're doing. So you see lots of really cool ideas on there. And you mentioned last night that one of your top tips for how farmers can interact with people on Twitter is to always respond in good faith. Can you explain uh, that a bit? Well, that's yeah, that's the way I, I use it because I'm, I'm actually using it for my business. So it's just not my personal account. So... Um, you know, the research that I did before I joined social media said always interact with your potential customers. Um, so I do always try and interact with them, but my take on that is that I'll interact with them always in good faith. So I'll make the assumption that they're all legitimate questions, even even though there's you know if they're trying to weasel an angle or anything like that, I'll I'll I'll, I'll answer in good faith and let them have their gotcha moment. But obviously everyone else reading just sees the good faith. So that's the way I take it. Um, the other advice would be, if, you know, even from a business perspective, people still like to have a personal connection to people. 
So I find it helps if you let your personality come through, um, but not your opinions. So they're very different things. It's an important distinction, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, um, and I tend to anonymise a lot of the stuff. So, you know, if one of my kids do something that's Mr 11 or, you know, Mr 14, they're not, they're not people, but it's a, it's a social interaction that, you know, gives people a connection to you. Because, you know, a lot of it's text-based. Um, so they're not standing looking at you with your body language and facial expressions. So you need a bit of that personal touch, I think, helps to mm. engage your customers. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. I think people connect really well with people rather than with things. Yes, absolutely. Or um, that's generally a rule. There are some people that prefer things. I, <laughs> I suspect strongly I'm one of them. I like my tech. Um, so, you know, a you know, perfect day on the farm is nothing goes wrong and I get to spend all day in the workshop making stuff. But, you know... Um, you know, obviously that you know the social connection is is there, and I, I do actually enjoy seeing what other people are up to. Hmm. And I guess you are a bit renowned for fiddling and tinkering in the shed and creating some pretty cool tech yourself. What have you done that is the most exciting thing, or what do you what are you sort of proud of that uh, you've made? Well, like you know, um, the shed is also full of things that never quite made it off. <laughs> Out of the shed floor because they weren't going to work. Um, but I guess the ones I use the most are the stuff I've done with sheep. So, you know, I've got my five-way auto drafter that I use all the time. And, you know, most of the time it works. But luckily, if it doesn't work, I know the guy that made it. So it's usually pretty easy to get service and get it fixed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's had a few interactions over the years. And, you know, it's getting more robust and stronger and, and more flexibility. Um, and has a few features that, you know, you can't get from a shop-bought one, I guess. So... It's filling a few needs for me, even though, you know, if I was to cost my time, it still would be cheaper to go and buy one, but way less fun. And what are some of those features that are sort of really specialised for what you need it for? Yeah, so when I first bit, like everybody's yards were not designed for five-way auto-draft. So I had to fit it in my existing yards. So I made the three-way drafting gates standalone wireless units. So I've got the crate and I'll have one three-way draft and one of those will lead down a, a long, narrow race mm-hmm. to another three-way draft in a, in a separate location. Mm-hmm. And the cradle actually track the sheep through this system so it knows not to open a gate down the long race until the, that previous sheep has gone out, but happily draft out closer gates where there's a free, free route into the pens. Um, the other one is it's got two guillotine doors on the back. Um, so the way platform's fully isolated, so it's got an internal door that's part of the way platform and it's got a, a, an external door that's part of the race. Mm-hmm. So, you know, between the two doors I get less double sheep in the crate yep. and I can fully isolate my way platform. So for me it gives me a little bit more accuracy. I know the sheep in the crate isn't leaning on a gate that's not part of the platform or the race, you know, I don't have three sheep piled up on the on the <laughs> way platform from behind. Um, and obviously it interact, interacts directly with the software package on my PC. Yeah. So, you know, I can draft on any an unlimited number of criteria and change it any time I want. I don't have to prepare draft lists. They're just drop-down boxes and decisions. Perfect. And are there any other things that you've implemented that you think have really saved you money or saved you a heap of time? Uh, so, uh, yeah, towards the end of the drought, so I, I committed to obviously containment feeding and I wanted to automate that process so we put in a, a feed tech auto feeder um, and uh, it's 25 metres long and it's nearly half the price of 25 metres worth of lick feeders. 
So Lickfeed is just a steel box that the sheep use. Here's a fully automated grain delivery system with timed stop starts and I can calibrate it and control the amount of feed and it costs less than a, a line of steel boxes. So, you know, that was, I'm you know, pretty happy with that. Obviously, how excited you get with the infrastructure that goes around that is, can get quite expensive, but, um, you know, I've, I've got a mate at home that put one out on conveyor belt, didn't even grade the site and the unit you know, just wiggles up and down with the contour of the ground and put a, you know, just a standard uh, ring knot fence around it. You know, very cheap but fully automated system. And still effective. Still effective. Um, he reckons the only thing he did wrong is he didn't put a bigger silo on it. He reckons he should have put one that takes a road train instead of a semi so he doesn't have to fill up that often. But, yeah, it's... Um, whereas, you know, other people are building really flash, you know, cement beds and, and nice gates and, and laneways and, you know, get the sheep in and out. But, you know, it's up to each individual. But the, the tech behind it is really robust and, you know, from my perspective, really cheap. It's an awesome outcome. Excellent. And so when you're thinking about making uh, an investment in tech for your place and what are the types of criteria that you're thinking about? Um, so, like, if I put it through my little framework, so it has to do what I already do easier to do. Um, so, an example, when I went electronic tags, I was already doing individual animal management. So, for me to put in electronic tags made what I was already doing easier. For your average sheep producer to adopt electronic tags, it's extra work, um, which is probably why we don't see the adoption that some people think we should have got from electronic tags. But for your average guy, it's more work. So for me, it has to make what I already do easier. So we domesticated sheep about 14,000 years ago, about 8,000 years ago for wool. So the job that I do is an old job. Mm. Um, so we understand how to do it. We know what the pain points are. New tech has to make it easier. I don't want extra work. I want the data that I get from this tech to be a byproduct of management. Mm -hmm. And I'd like that data to tell me something about the sheep. Um, so, for example, I've got a lot of trough sensors in that are part of a smart farm pilot project I'm with the DPI, and the trough sensors are really cool, but they tell me things about the trough. Um, they don't tell me things about my sheep. So, you know, if I had a flow meter there, I could actually know what the sheep were drinking, which would tell me something about the, the sheep. So that's the kind of distinction. So they're the three things I look for. Make it easier. Data's a byproduct of management. And tell me something about my animals. Most tech doesn't fulfil that. <laughs> and so if you are going to invest, would you say it has to have two of the three or is one of the three enough? Or where do you sort of prioritise? Uh, yeah, I, um, I reckon two of the three. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, you know, if the tech doesn't exist, well, everything's about compromises. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, I, if I think back and really think hard about it, I haven't introduced tech that doesn't fit those. Whereas people think, oh, you know, Mark, you're, you're a leader at this, you've got all this tech on there. No, it's the leading bit wasn't the tech. The leading bit was that my old man was crazy enough to do it the hard way. The tech just came naturally afterwards. So I haven't adopted tech that didn't fulfil those criteria. But, you know, we're expecting that same tech to be wanted by commercial producers and it doesn't fulfil that criteria. Yeah. Um, so it makes it much harder the, for them to justify it. Yeah. Um, People will forego extra income if it doesn't add to their workload. Like they don't, you know, they, 
um, you know, that's we're all time poor, that time is really critical. Absolutely. I think we see it time and time again, don't we, that money is rarely the first motivating factor for most people. It's usually, you know, quality of life or um, ease of getting a job done or, you know, the ability to allow you to fit in your cropping program or to go on holidays with your family. Yep. And it's also, um, you know, a lot of my neighbours now are 100% cropping. 15 years ago, every one of my neighbours was a mixed farm. They all had sheep on them. And now that's gone away. They're all young and motivated, but what cropping has is the tech is it's scalable. So those guys can handle many thousands of tonnes per labour unit um, because the, the tech, you know, the tractors are bigger, the tech's better, it's more automated. Um, you know, the way they handle their grains becoming more streamlined. If we come back to my sheep, um, the wages that I have to pay to get jobs done are dictated by the tech advances in other industries. So those cropping guys are willing to pay wages of a certain amount because of the economy of scale they get. So my labour has to match that. Mm. Um, but I don't, because I run sheep, I don't have that same economy of scale as streamlining. So if we look at shearing, so we've been shearing sheep for 8,000 years. Mm -hmm. Um, it started with a process called brewing and that's just because the wool would shed mm-hmm. we just knock them over and pull the wool off them with our fingers and just drag our fingers through and we'd get all the down um, you know and then somewhere obviously in the Iron Age we developed shears and we clipped them and we did that for a few thousand years about a hundred years ago we automated that clipping that's it there's the three t- technological advances in shearing in 8,000 years and the sheep per head per labour unit hasn't changed so it's, you know, it's really, again, a rock and a hard place. So as other industries scale up and ours doesn't, the ability to have that wage parity between the two gets harder and harder. So we have to make advances in other areas. Um, so, you know, the genetic improvement becomes really important and the ability to make a profit otherwise has to offset the fact that we can't get productivity improvements so far in our, in our labour. And if we're looking at technology and thinking about how we invest in it, sometimes there's examples of when it hasn't gone so right and when something may have been implemented and it hasn't actually worked as you imagined. Do you, have you had any? Oh, you know, there's, I suppose there's a few bits of kit that we buy um, that don't work as well as you'd like. You know, some of the early auto drafters, you know, did my, did my head in, pulled, pulled all my hair out, as you can tell. <laughs> um, but even when I'm developing my own tech, I've spent many, many hours and I and put effort into developing tech. Um, so one example is I thought I'd convert all my software over to voice input. Mm-hmm. So I'm working in the yards. It makes sense. Put on a headphone with a um, nice noise-cancelling microphone and verbally speaking all my data while I've got two hands free to work on the sheep. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? And I spent ages developing that and, go, and we take it to the sheep yards. It turns out that speaking for eight hours a day in a hot, dusty environment full of flies is really hard work. Yeah. Um, so I was a client, mm-hmm. I was a developer, and I still couldn't see that what I was making wasn't going to work. It wasn't until we rolled it out, um, got thumbs down from the old fella, mm. <laughs> um, had a go at it myself and it just wasn't work. And it turns out just a, a Bluetooth keypad yep. that's um, mobile is hands down far away in front. Um, so it's sometimes difficult to know um, what is and isn't going to work. I mean, we see that with new tech startups and companies, you know, fantastic ideas, really cool bits of tech, but don't solve the problem that we thought they were going to. 
Absolutely. I think the testing phase, the user testing phase is so, so important. Yes. And I, I think um, that's one thing I think people definitely, if you're thinking about investing in a piece of technology and it isn't off the shelf piece of tech, try and go and see it in action at someone else's place who's already got it so you can see if it works for you and it's intuitive and it would actually do the job that you're looking for yeah absolutely i mean that's um the last sheep handling piece of equipment that i bought um you know i borrowed one off a mate first Mm. and we used it and we tried it in our yards in our situation yep thumbs up it's not the fanciest one on the market Mm. but it's it's simple and fit for purpose for what it does and does that one job really well you know um and you know i was toying with the idea but very reluctant until I got a, a test run um, so you know that was not everyone has that but it's your advice of going and having a look and, and a physical play absolutely yeah and I think as well I mean ask the rep you know if ask the person who's trying oh. to sell it to you you know say can you bring one here yeah. and put, have it so I can demo it and I know mostly they will mm. um, we, you know we've certainly had people turn up with stuff at home and have a bit of a look and you know it's a tough conversation after you realise it's not going to work because I've gone all that effort to turn up. Um, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you so much. As always, incredibly interesting. And uh, I really look forward to following your adventures on Twitter and seeing what new technology and inventions you come up with. That's, you know, well, ho- hopefully something will come out of the workshop at some stage. <laughs> it gets harder and harder as I get busier and busier. But yeah, it's good fun to have a chat. Yeah, thank you. Mark Mortimer of Centre Plus Marinos at Tullamore speaking at the Marino Link Conference in Wagga. A very big thanks to the conference, but also to Emily King for that interview. And uh, I did love the mental image of Mark in the sheepyards giving verbal commands with his noise noise cancelling headphones. It, uh, it is great that we have people like Mark to push the boundaries of the industry. So if you like what we do, even if you don't, send us an email about it. We do love your feedback at theyarnatwool.com. Leave us a review at Spotify or iTunes. And most of all, thank you for listening. From me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn with us. <laughs>